Deepak Chopra says it's never too late to begin creating the bodies we want instead of the ones we mistakenly assume we are stuck with. Today, we are so super honored to have Len Stanmore with us. Thank you for being here, Len. It's great to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And I have to say, I have to say this. You, I've been talking to for multiple years now. You've been seeing me for acupuncture for aches and pains here and there. And gosh, I've learned so much about you. And all the time, I'm like, you need to get out there and be heard. And you're so inspirational. And you had always said no. And so... Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, we are, so we are super, so honored. super honored to Thank have you, you here. And and you guys are going to be in for a treat, be- and you'll see why. Blown so, Tanya, and yeah. Like, so, why don't you tell us right? about some of the things that Len has done? Len Stanmore, global explorer and successful entrepreneur in the telecom business, is the only human on earth who has these accomplishments. First of all, he's 68 and looks amazing. I would never guess his age. <laughs> that That's the secret in of itself, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's the first man to climb all seven highest summits in seven continents, skied North and South Pole. He's the 26th person, but why stop there? You went, then went on to cross four deserts and ultramarathons, 100 to 250 kilometer runs across the globe in crazy treacherous conditions. And now you practice yoga and meditation no, daily. No, no. Oh, yeah, you do, right? Are, are you doing it daily these days? Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 okay, good. So, but some the ideal is daily, daily but yes. some yoga, much yoga <laughs> yeah. to, you know, compensate for all of that <laughs> and practices meditation daily. And you also really thrive off sleeping eight hours a day. So mm-hmm. tell, tell us about actually your daily health and fitness routine now, since I kind of assumed that you did well, yoga daily. We started with this morning. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, perfect. Sure. Up at four o'clock, you know, get ready. Trainer showed up at quarter after five. And we did a shorter session, a two-hour session. But then I'll do a 5K run after this. So right now I'm not training for anything. So it's just this kind of a daily routine for me. I'll do this five times a week, you know. Yeah, off I'm, season. If I'm training, it's mm-hmm. it's a whole different story. Right. So training will be anywhere from four to six hours a day of training. Three, four hours of cardio, depending on what I'm training for, and two hours of strength training. You do that six times a week. Yeah, so... Yeah. This is why Len is literally the only person on earth. And I'm going to add this story as well. So is it Trucking for Kids? Yes. It's a charity, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you'll do certain events for charities. And uh, Trucking for Kids actually applied for the Guinness Book of World Records for you. Isn't that right? They did. Exactly. So, and, and it was mm-hmm. denied yes. because... There is no competition. There is no competition. There is nobody else on earth that has accomplished what you have done. So, of course, you can't even be in the records when there's no one to compare yourself to. And it's really hard to open up a new category with Guinness. It's really hard to do that. That was their other thing. You can have the longest fingernail. That's in there. But to open up a new category with Guinness is very hard to do. Wow. Yeah. So the point is you, you could just create your own record. I mean, you are. And I love what you said. Your perspective is 
I'm the only person on the planet having different points of views, right? Like because you're yeah. the only person standing wherever you stand. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. Just just for myself. Yes. You know, like to stand at the South Pole, the North Pole, or on top of this mountain or that mountain. Nobody else has been. They've been there, but not to all the different spots. So I, I just something for myself that I think is kind of cool. Tell us your starting point. I mean, you didn't end up there on Mount oh. Everest and all these seven summits How overnight. Start? Yeah. Tell well, us about your first two kilometers of a run. Well, I think, I think before that, yeah. you profess to be a normal human being, mm-hmm. right? Because people will just read. <laughs> Superhuman. <laughs> now, right? No, because people, people will look at all these accomplishments and say, holy cow, I can't do that. Like, who the heck is he? You know, right? To do this stuff, you don't have to be a super athlete. You don't have to be gifted. I mean, I'm proof of that. So tell us how you started off. You just, well, to get to that point, you just have to train, you know, stay focused. Man, it's just really, it's left foot, right foot. It's, (laughs) it's, It's challenging at times, but it's anyone can actually do it. So when you say that, you are exemplary because, of course, Prior to this, I know that you have a, oh, you did have a business that was thriving. And you were saying something to the effect about you were at a conference, a business conference, and you heard someone speak. Tell us about that. Well, I had retired. Okay. And, you know, when I first retired, I golfed all the time. This first year was really good. I golfed. I fixed all those things around the house that had to be fixed, you know. I went on vacation. I sat on beaches. But after about, <laughs> I think, eight months, I, I was bored. I didn't right. have any purpose in life. So I right. Interesting. I was looking for something. I, I'd always worked on a plan where I, I always had a financial plan in life, but I never had a life plan. Hmm. That's a big difference. So when you retire, I see a lot of people go through this. When you retire, they're like, they don't know what to do anymore. Right. So lots of them go back to work they're searching for something so i was searching so anyway i went on this uh lunch with two businessmen down in california and they'd been mountain climbing on the weekend i thought that intrigued me mm. so i thought i only knew of one mountain kilimanjaro I didn't know that <laughs> everybody heard of everest but, yes uh, that was way out of my league at the time so, so you I, thought yeah yeah so i thought i'm gonna go on safari i'm gonna go to africa go on safari and climb kilimanjaro mm-hmm. And I started off with that, and I did self-training at that time. Total disaster. Okay, but how were you? Well, how was your fitness level before you went in? Say ten, being perfect. I'll give myself. Yeah, I'll bump myself up a bit. I'll give myself a one. Wow. So, <laughs> well, at the time I was yeah, business, lots of lunches, lots of dinners. I partied hard, drank way too much. Smoke cigars. Wow. 50 pounds heavier. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How old were you? When I retired? Mm Mm-hmm. 48. Yeah. Okay, guys. So a lot of us will not retire at 48. I'm already past that age, but that's besides the point. So um, it doesn't matter. You could still get fit, right? So tell us about your first training experience now. (laughs) Well, my first training experience, that'd be with Peter. So what happened was... So I went to Kilimanjaro, and I managed to summit that. And then after that, I did two others, and I was self-training. Big mistake. So I went to the Antarctic, climbed Vincent, 
And then I went to Russia and did Mount Elbrus. Have you ever seen those runners, you know, when they in a race, you're watching a marathon race on TV and you see them come in the last hundred yards and their their legs are going like this and <laughs> yes. one way and they're collapsing. That was me. Okay. <laughs> so when I finished Elbrus, I thought, I need to get a trainer. Mm. And, you know, I heard about this company, Pilates Consulting and Peter Lavelle. And I talked to him and he took me on. And to be fair to him, he's got me through every major event that I've done. And mm. some of them were just brutal. I mean, but training with Peter, I think if I went to boot camp, army boot camp would be easier. His training is just off the charts. You think you're training to be a gold medalist at the Olympics. Wow. He wow. really, really pushes you, but he gets you there. Awesome. Does he do the events with you? Did he go? Oh, no. 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 <laughs> no. Like, he doesn't do any of them. I hope he listens yeah. to this big coward. <laughs> He's a big coward. <laughs> Peter, if you're watching, <laughs> you will watch and maybe you'll do. <laughs> I think the bottom line here is, though, that you didn't do it alone. Like, you felt like you were super supported. I, I and couldn't it's have important. done it mm-hmm. right. There's no way. Yeah. You wouldn't push yourself that hard. Right, right. So you need somebody to push yourself. Right. So whether it's, you know, doing Mount Everest or doing an ultra marathon or actually just going for a, not just, just I got to stop saying just, just right? <laughs> you know, attempting your first five kilometers, yes. right? I mean, all it's there's no difference because I remember you saying that when you ran your first two kilometers. Actually, I'd, we would just love to hear about that and coming oh. out of your mouth. So tell yeah. us about your first two kilometers as you were training on your own. Okay, so I went. To, actually, I went to Peter. I had him as a trainer at that point. Oh, and I said, you know, I want to do because I'd done the climbing. And I said, I want to do a race. And he's like, okay. He said, how long do I have to train you? I said, four months. And he said, so what are we doing? I said, are we doing like, you, you're trying to do a half marathon? I said, actually, it's a, it's in the Gobi Desert. It's a 250-kilometer <laughs> So I just saw him. He's looking at me. He's like, oh, God. So I remember. So he started me on a training program. And I came home, and I, I ran the first day. And then I, when I came back, I ran back home and I thought, I'm going to measure this in the car, see how far it was. It was two kilometers. <laughs> I was sinking. Oh, God, what up? 248 more kilometers to go, I right? Know, know. So, how long did it take you from to get to that point? So, I went, went to the Gobi four months later, and wow. that was a disaster. Okay. Yes. It's good to know. That's one of my failures right there. But I love, we love to hear that because it didn't stop you. No. Well, no, it didn't, but I had to go back. So what happened? I went to the Gobi. I didn't do my research. Mm. So I showed up there and I I did two things that were completely wrong. I was running a trail race and I brought running shoes. Mm. Doesn't sound like a big deal. I didn't even know there were trail shoes. Oh. So they're, they're made differently. They're really oh. hard. They don't bend. Hmm. And you're running over really rough terrain. Mm-hmm. So consequently, your foot's twisting and going forwards and backwards. After about 80 kilometers, I started getting blisters. Okay. Did I stop and treat the blisters or did I just continue running? I continued running. So at about 170 kilometers... I had massive blisters on the bottom. I mean, massive. So I, there was a doctor. They always have a doctor on the race. And he said, you can continue to run, but if you do, you'll do permanent foot damage. Wow. 
So I, I had to bow out of that race. But it drove me crazy because I didn't finish it. So it, I went back four years later and did it. And then I decided I'd just do all four of them. Did you see 170 kilometers as a success, though, still? Because no. I... No, no, no right? but the, the, it was eating away at you, right? right? Oh, so absolutely crazy. But now looking yeah. back, still? No. Okay. No. No, yeah. it's a failure. And <laughs> yeah. it was just, you know, yeah. ignorance on my part, not doing right. my research. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's Len's perspective. And, of course, coming from our point of view, it is not a failure because who runs 170 kilometers. I don't think I've done that. Well, I know I haven't done that in one shot at ever. Not even close. So, But, but you can, people can do it. Like watch people. And yes, four months of course. Training. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing, That's right? Outstanding. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of persistence, like mental commitment. It's, it's. You it's, have to put your mind in a different spot. Yeah. You can't be thinking about you know, you've been in races and sometimes there's, say, 250 kilometers. It's 54 degrees Celsius. you got to run 90 kilometers that day. You're carrying a 40-pound pack on your back. If you start thinking, I've just ran eight kilometers and I'm dying, it's going to be a tough race for of you. Course. So you really have to think of other things while you're running. Mm-hmm. You know, I usually count songs. So I'll have my... Uh, my earbuds in and I'll be counting songs. And I know if I count a hundred songs, I've been out there for seven hours. Wow. So I didn't know that. I was wondering, I thought, do you run without any music? So you don't, you run with music. Depends on, on the race and how deep I have to, where I have to take myself to a different place. Of course. It's kind of like this transcendental experience where you got to get out of your body, right? Yeah. Yeah, wow. you can't be thinking about it all the time, what you're doing, because it can get mind-boggling. So I love that you mentioned this, because when you see me for acupuncture for some of these aches and pains, you'll actually tell me on the spot, oh, I hate running. And I just laugh. Well, I do hate running. <laughs> I, I, if you pass me and I'm outside running, I'm, I look like this grumpy old man. No, I don't <laughs> really? have that big smile on my face. I'm not one of those people that goes, I love this. Oh, I hate it. It's so monotonous. So is it the goal? Is it the goal? It is. It's the challenge. The challenge. Yeah. yeah. And on, on the other side, I get to travel all over the world, right. see new places. And you're not staying in a five-star hotel. Most of the times you're in a tent. So you're, you're seeing how people really live in mm. those parts of the country. And I, I like that stuff. So it's the whole experience. It's a thousand star hotel. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, really? Some of it's absolutely amazing to see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and again, the perspective that you get to see it from, you know, versus in a car and in just, you know, the main centers of different uh, cities, you're going to places literally that hardly anyone has traveled because you're traversing places that are really treacherous, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not, and the, the runs are not runs where there's a path and, I mean, Lots of them you're running through jungles, you're, you're running, you're climbing up the 800 foot sand dunes, you know, some of the races, you know, the temperature or the events, the temperature can be minus 70, mm-hmm. it can be plus 54 degrees. I mean, it's all over the place. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and do, do you like it when you get lost? I remember you said something about you, you got I lost in the that. desert. I did get lost in the desert. <laughs> wow. Running, like so, no fear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was in the Sahara Desert, so I don't know if you know runners. 
we have a tendency to put our head down yes. and just yes. look in front of us. So they have little flags going along there. The rule is if you miss a flag, the flags are about every 100 yards, maybe 200 yards. But if you miss a flag, you're supposed to stop immediately and go back and figure out where the flag was because you've made a wrong turn yeah. somewhere. Well, head down. I'm in the Sahara Desert. We're doing a 90K run that day. Head down. And I just kept running. And I realized I had no <laughs> idea where I was. You're in the zone, completely like not paying attention to the flag. It was hot. Wow. You had your pack on. I think I got lost for two and a half, three hours. You got lost to, for that time. I had no idea where wow. I was. And I'm trying to spot other runners somewhere. Couldn't spot any. You're just thinking, you have to yourself, you're thinking, why am I doing this? Yeah. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I did. And it's funny what your mind does. You're thinking to yourself, if I could just fall down, if I can find my way back, I just fall down and maybe break my wrist or my, my ankle. I could get out of this gracefully and I wouldn't look like a fool, right? Oh. It does go through your mind. You think of all those things. It's like, hmm. But you know, it's funny. It's always your mind that takes you out of the race. Mm. Your body can keep going and going. The body can do amazing things. Yes. Like I've been in some, some events where five, six hours into it, I'm totally exhausted. Can't take another step. If you can shut your mind off six hours later, I'm still going. And I'm not a super athlete at all. So your body can do it. Mm-hmm. So that's curious to me when you say I shut your, my mind off. So what do you do? Like what happens when you shut your mind off? Me, I go to a happy place. So what's your happy I, place? I think about all kinds of things. I could be thinking about family, about the grandkids, friends I have. I have to go to a different spot. Right. In, right. in the event itself. Or I can... Sometimes I'll listen to music. I'll go back and forth, mm. you know, just just to get out of the spot you're in. And I guess the music brings you memories it too, does. and then smells. Right. Perhaps mm-hmm. you've done an event similar, brings you back to another event. And you don't do this alone. You do this with groups, right? Mm. With groups. So tell me about the social aspect. Is there oh. an element to that yeah. that brings you to it's doing? It's a great it? element. <laughs> Some of the people I, I I know people all over the world now. I think I go. That's almost exciting. any country in the world and bump into somebody that had been in a race or a climb or something like that. And I think when you're, you're, you're all suffering together, right? So when you're all, <laughs> you're all suffering, you tend to bond with one another. Yes. And it, uh, yeah. it lasts. I think it lasts for a lifetime. Yes. And, and I love it because when I asked you to do this interview with us, you immediately went to, oh, there's some other people that you might be interested to speak to, right? Yeah. So. We're going to have Michelle Cacade. And, She's uh, fantastic. So, and she uh, ran, was it mountain climbing or running? Across the desert, I so think, right? I did the four deserts with Michelle. We did every one together. Mm. And we're both beginner runners. But after she did the four deserts and she finished them all, it's amazing, she decided to do a 6,900-kilometer run around India. Yeah, she's from India. Yeah, and, and she's raising money for women. Yes. And she wow. ran every single day until she ran the circumference of India, 6,900 wow. kilometers. Yeah. So we can't we How, can't how do you wake up after, I was telling Mary, after you've run 1,000 kilometers and 
you still have 5,900 to go. But she did it. Yeah. And amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. So we can't ha- ha- wait to have her oh, on as well. Yeah. And Luis Be- Benetis. Benetis. Yes. yes. He's quite a character. So he's famous. Everybody knows him in the climbing world. He's a lost count. I think he's summited Everest five or six times. Six times. He summited six times. Yes. And he's um, gone up different the summits all over the world. So over 32 times in total, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Something oh, yeah. like he, that. He's a great guide. I've been with him on... He's our guide on Everest. I was with him on Vincent. Um, yeah, I was with him down in South America. Yeah. So what a, it almost excites me to do something like that, but I don't see myself really doing that. You never I, know. Well, I always feel like in the forest, 10 kilometers. <laughs> you accomplish it. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I did my one marathon. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> but... I'm more. I'm interested in the mental gymnastics of all of it. So, what are you? What's your proudest moment through all these events? Like where you were able to get past the mental gymnastics of oh, I can't do this, or like where you got yourself. My proudest moment. Yeah, or, or it doesn't have to be a moment, but any. I mean, any suggestions on? You know, I'd have to. I know this sounds. Everybody's going to go. Oh, really? But it's true, because it was um, so far out of my realm. Of possibilities, I think probably climbing Everest. Mm. Yeah, it was just like, you know, as a kid, you watch it on TV, you see it, never really think you're gonna be. I had no delusions of ever, never thought about doing it, right? Just kind of came up, but actually being there and actually getting to do it. And then once you do something, you're standing on the top, then you start getting scared because you're thinking, now I gotta get down. Right, which is the hardest part. And, yeah. and didn't you have a fear of heights? I have a huge fear of heights. <laughs> huge. I love that. I would have a hard one. Well, I wouldn't be able to stand on your roof and look over the edge. There's okay. no way. And then you just summit Everest. Is this Everest? That is. That's okay. the Lotsy face. Okay, mm. so. The Camp 3, yeah. For those of you who are listening, I would totally, we would invite you to actually watch this episode because we're going to have some clips of some photos of oh, you sure. in, in doing whatever you're doing. And, um, Let's talk about one of the near-death experiences that mm. you've had, because I know you've had multiple. Is that correct? I could throw two out. Oh, I've had tons. I don't know if it's near-death or not, but uh, Luis could probably, he was on this one. So we were in the Antarctic. It was my second climb. I had no idea what I was doing. But anyway, we had just finished summoning, and we're coming down, and Luis said, there's a storm coming in. We can't get back down to uh, base camp. We have to stay at high camp and weather the storm outside. Okay, I don't know. So anyway, you have these little tents. They're like seven feet by seven feet. And I'm in with two French-Canadian guys, really nice father and son, uh, Jason and Bruno Brody. And so you're in the tent. It's like the storm hits. And it's really cramped. You're, you can't even roll over in this tiny little tent. The storm got so bad we had to tie a rope between the two tents to pass food back and forth. You couldn't get out of your fit. You couldn't get out of your tent to go from me to you. you couldn't go five feet. Complete whiteout. Wow. And that lasted for three solid days. Wow. So imagine being you, you wow, lying down. Yeah. So of course I went to how the heck do you go to the bathroom? Hmm. I was thinking about eating. I was like, what did you eat? You're thinking elimination. I'm thinking chicken food. 
you get to know one another really well in yeah. that tent. But, um, and the other, you know, you'd be in the tent and you would hear it sound like a train was coming. What it was, it was the wind. But you'd hear it first and then it'd take about two minutes later, maybe two and a half minutes, and then the wind would hit. And it would be so fierce, it would just pop the top of the tent down and it'd be oh, vibrating wow. over you like this. So you're like, you're just staring at it. It's like this and then it would pop up and it would go away. Five minutes later, I'd do it again. Did it for three days. Oh, wow. And I was lying there thinking, man, Could you man sleep? this is ever going to be over. Yes. Yes. You have nothing else to do. <laughs> right, right. You're already lying down. Meditation, it was sleep. cool, but you're not moving around, so you don't have a lot of circulation. I can always remember. I didn't remember this until I started thinking about it, but I'd probably wake up every two or three hours and I'd have to rub my feet. I was afraid they're going to freeze. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yes. Oh, it was cold. Of course. And, and you were in the tent alone? No, no. Oh. With two other people. Okay. Seven by seven foot. Wow. So you're, tent, you're very close. Very small. Can't yes. stand up. Can't sit up. Can't move. It was a long three days. <laughs> yes. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. yeah. Luis, who's climbed all over the world, he didn't tell me this at the time. And I had no idea. He said it was the worst storm he's ever in. Wow. I was like, oh, and, uh, really? Lucky you. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. We probably did a lot of talking. We did. <laughs> and then there's long periods of silence because you're hmm. thinking, oh, God, we've talked for hours. Just, <laughs> just take a how break. How much longer is this storm going to last? Wow. Right? Yeah. That, and there was another one down in, I like this story even better, though, Aconcagua. So Aconcagua is the highest mountain in South America. So we'd summited. We came down and we're at base camp and base camp is at 13,500 feet. And one of the guys that I was climbing with had been there the year before. He said, Lynn, he said, so you got to walk from base camp out. And it's a two day walk. He said, it's a two day walk. He said, last year, what I did is I got a gaucho that's a South American cowboy comes up, he brings a donkey up and he's on a donkey and you ride out, you can ride out in eight hours. Huh. Yeah, I'm in for that. I've already been on the mountain for three weeks. I don't really feel like walking out now for two days. So anyway, I got the gaucho. He shows up the next morning. He doesn't speak any English at all. That's fine. And he ties his 15-foot rope to the two donkeys. He's leading the way. A kilometer into the ride, I swear to God, going along this little path. It's about this wide. It's all covered in rocks and everything like that. It's got about a... 1,500 to 2,000 foot drop on this side. So like half a foot narrow Yeah. He falls ridge. off the mountain. <gasps> him and the he, donkey. He, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. So they're rolling down. And you're tied. And you're tied to it. No. The rope snapped. Oh, wow. So the rope snapped. Wow. So I'm like, I'm watching it thinking, holy. He gets <laughs> up. He's about 150 yards down. The donkey gets back up. He comes back, ties the rope up, and we go off. Oh, my God. I had the worst and how part. scared were you? No. I was thinking this is a really bad, this was a mistake. Yeah. But the worst part was we get down close to the bottom and we're on the wrong side of the river. There's a big river there. All the snow is melting on the mountain and it's rushing down into this river. And it's got like white caps, it's rapids, right? Because it's really and moving it's fast. fast yeah. It's going down the mountain, right? But then the river... Is also going into an ice cave. So I guess the force of the river 
I know if it was part of a glacier, made this about the size of this room, this big hole in the ice, and it's going right through it for about 500 feet. And I'm looking at it going, it's about 200 yards away. And he's out, and he's walking up and down the river, figuring out where we're going to cross and thinking, oh, this doesn't look good. So anyway, <laughs> oh my. get on the donkey, and um, he finds a place. And I think, okay, at least we're going to walk across the river on the donkeys and that. Oh, no. We get about 20, 25 feet in, and the donkeys are swimming. And you're floating down the river on a donkey, and you're thinking, hey, my life is in this donkey's hands. If he can't swim. It was- I didn't even know donkeys could swim. This donkey was swimming. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It was trying to save its life. You're sitting on this donkey, and you're, the water's cold. That wasn't the big thing. The big thing was if you're going to get swept into that hole, Right. You're not you are not gonna live if you right. went through that. No, there's no way. Anyway, donkey made it. I met those guys that night for dinner. It's back in town. And uh they asked how the ride was. They <laughs> said it was horrifying. It was terrible. Probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Wow. And they were killing themselves laughing because they had done it the year before. Oh, no. Same thing. Oh no! Same thing. So the guy hadn't learned that was that was their no, that was their joke on me. Yeah, yeah. because they didn't oh, go my, along. Yeah. They yeah. Met, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was your joke on you. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I would say. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That wow. was the worst one. Okay. And yet yeah, you still go on. Now, you had said something about um, you like challenges. So tell, speak to that and how when you make that accomplishment, when, do you celebrate your accomplishment and how long does it last? Oh. Yes. Well, I like getting out of my, I like to pick something that takes me out of my comfort zone, something that I really don't think I can do. What that does to me, it scares the crap out of me. So and you like that? I like that because I know I'm going to train really, really hard because I don't think I can do it. And maybe there's something in the back of my mind is if I didn't do it, I didn't think I could do it anyway. I don't know. But um, what was the rest of that question? I just lost my train. Oh, no, that's okay. Just in, in terms, when you do accomplish. Oh, how long does that last? And do you celebrate your accomplishment at the end? So for me, when I finish something, say Everest. That's the big one that everybody knows. When I got to the top and when I finished it, on the way down, I was already trying to think of something else to do. It was over. <laughs> yeah. it was just, and I think they're all like, like on that. to the next it, it was over and I didn't think about it after that and people are always going oh wow that's so great and it's like that's kind of in the past it's like it doesn't really mean that much to me right so you live definitely in, in the, the moment, moment to moment mm-hmm. you celebrate in the moment and then you're done and you move on and I've talked to lots of people who are the same once mm. they finish that event and they're usually before they even get to the bottom or the same day the race is over, whatever it is you're doing, they're thinking of something else to do. Yes, yes. And I love that because you can even within miniature goals, set mini goals, right? For people mm-hmm. who might not be climbing seven summits and crossing deserts. Oh, and, sure. Right? So just like always to have a little goal, like be in the moment, be present. Do you kind of move through your five senses, would you say, as you're running? Or you just try to not be aware of? No, I nope. just try to... <laughs> Just really focus on what's in front of me. Mm. And, and I'm not athletic or... Um, I would choose to disagree yes. with that. So he has a whole different 
definition, definition right? for sure. himself, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just be clear about that because, you know, for everybody else, they will look at you as a super athlete. Yes. That would be a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> really, my, my goal when I go into these is to finish. Yes. Mm-hmm. To finish. I'm not trying to come in top three in a race. My goal is always to finish. And it drives me crazy if I don't finish. Mm-hmm. I'm not right. super and there are people who don't, so, and who start, oh, and who don't. Yes, sure. yes, right? No, I've been very lucky. I mean, uh, well, let's, let's look at perspective then. So mm-hmm. let's start with Everest. Like, what percentage of the population would even consider attempting climbing at Mount Everest? Oh, that I don't know. I know there's a lot more the last few years. I've right? seen some of the lineups, but... Uh, we were pretty lucky when we were there. There wasn't a huge group that was that were that were on the mountain, um, and we were the last ones off the mountain. So it made it it made it nice. We got the summit. There wasn't there wasn't the crowds that you see now. Mm. Like those crowds are horrendous. But even still, I mean, I don't know anyone who has summited Everest. Never mind all the other things that you've done. Do, have you, do you know anyone who's done no, Everest? No, my brother has uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, but yeah. and I could see him doing Everest. Right, but, but that's a whole different ballgame. Yes, right? I know. I, I've gone. I've climbed Mount Kenya, well, which is cool. close oh. to Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. and the reason why we chose it was um, it's the second highest in Africa, but. We chose it because it's a more scenic route. So it's not just yeah. about getting the highest summit. Right. It's about let's not in, let's enjoy the scenery as we do it, right? Oh, so it's nice. doable. Uh, but I'm uh, now I'm losing my thought. I have not met anybody who has climbed Mount right. Kilimanjaro, let alone seven summits, cross deserts, and so so yeah, definitely. So so <laughs> the point is not many, mm-hmm. and then even for those that attempt. Everest, they can hit base camp, yeah. but then, like, how many actually um, accomplish the climb? It's hard. It's a right? small percentage. And it really is. You've you've got to have everything going for you. You've got to have perfect weather. You've got to have your health. You hope you don't get edema or something like that. You know, you don't get injured. You don't get the Kumba cough. Yes. Now, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Yes. So you know, I was lucky enough to to get there on my first attempt. But something could have went wrong, and I might never have summited. You know, the weather could have come in. I could have got sick on the way up. There's all kinds of things. Lots of physical been. limitations. And in this, oh, these yeah. pictures, there's you wearing masks. What's going on there? Ah, uh, yeah. We are at, and there we're at Camp 3. So at Camp 3, that's, mm-hmm. that's um, at the top of the Lotsi face. So you're actually, you, you, can't, you can't leave your tent. You have to be tethered you have to be roped in because it's like a six thousand foot drop right so oh that's all yeah and you won't stop you won't stop but anyway they put you on oxygen there they give you a trial for the oxygen Mm. it's about twenty five thousand feet if i'm not mistaken you get to try oxygen because it is hard to breathe and but then you you know i don't know if you know how it works with ever so no you start at base camp Mm -hmm. then you go up to camp one and you come back down yeah, to acclimatize. Go, yeah, and then you go back up, then you come back down, and then you go to camp two, and you come back down. And you go to camp three, and you come back down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's never ending. It's not like you just go up and stop. I had no the idea. Next one. It yes. takes, that's why it takes, it takes about two months. So the book to read, <laughs> yeah. Two months. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, wow. Into Thin Air is what I read years ago, and... Um, it talks to about that and how some people don't make it, right? Yes. So 
it's pretty harrowing and yet you speak to it like oh it was a breeze <laughs> it's amazing to me well i think i think so long as you it's, it's hard to say but I, I don't mean to talk this way you have to use your your common sense and follow this do the same thing over and over again and if you stray from that if you start feeling confident and say say you're on the lotsy face and you don't clip in mm-hmm. or you don't do it properly and you miss a step and you fall. That's it. Yes, everything okay. counts. Yeah, we met we met some people on the trip. Uh, one guy was coming back down. We were he was coming from Camp Two back down to Camp One and heading back down. And he was crossing some of those ice bridges that you see on the ladders. Oh right, and he wasn't yes. clipping in. Oh so my goodness! He'd been goodness. there for a while, so he was running back and forth and doing that, and he didn't make it. And so you so, witnessed this? No, he had he had left us. We were talking to him. He had left us, but he fell in a crevasse. So if you don't follow the safety procedures, like just picking up, you know, and clipping in on the rope, and you make one mistake. But to that person's defense, sometimes when you're at high altitude, you're not thinking mm. straight. And it's a lot of work. Yes. It doesn't sound like it, but at altitude, it's different. Yes. It's a lot of work to bend down and and clip in. It doesn't like here. It's like nothing. You think, of course, it's not sure. When you're tired and um, lack of oxygen, lack of oxygen, you might not be thinking straight, and you might take both your clips. You always have two. You might take both and put them on the other side, and you're supposed to take one at a time. Because if you take them both off, you go to clip in, and you fall. There's nothing holding. You're done. Yeah. Great advice. So just follow safety procedures. Yes. Yeah, but your mind does wander. Yeah. And if you're there for a while, you become overconfident sometimes. So accidents happen. And so this brings to my personal thought of you know, wisdom has a play here because there's certainly lots of people way younger than you that don't finish, that don't accomplish. And so there are some advantages to what you just said. You know, follow the safety precautions, listen to your body. You have to listen to your body. Luis always said that the, the hardest people he takes on a mountain climb are marathon runners. <laughs> because they want to push through it, right? Mm. And on a climb, it's completely different. You want to go slow and conserve all your energy for summit day. You want to eat lots of food. You don't want to push through. You don't want to do any even a tiny thing that you don't have to do. Hmm. You don't want to carry somebody else's, their goods, any, anything in their pack. You, you want to minimize everything you do and save as much energy as you can because you can't push through it. Mm-hmm. You'll fail. Right. You want to climb, yeah. Gosh, I think this is just such a words of wisdom and we can apply it to our lives, right? Yeah. You know, our whole shtick is embrace you first. And this is exactly what you're speaking to. It's like conserve that energy so that you can not only um, thrive for yourself, but then you can help others down the road, right? In life. Absolutely. So, and we know that, as you mentioned earlier, you retired at 48. So I can also see how you have extended that kind of philosophy in how you had become successful and i think that will deserve another podcast of its own right yes so we'll speak to that yeah okay it's awesome and i don't know that we need to ask the question how do you fill up your cup today because 
he is so on top of that already. Like, I mean, well, what would you say is the biggest thing that you do for yourself, um, maybe for your mental health, so that you can engage in that focus when you're in the race outside of your events? Or not necessarily race, but your events. When I'm in the event? No, outside of it. On a day-to-day basis, the things that you do for to fill up your cup. Oh, Oh, today was an easy one. I just looked outside. It's sunny. It's Aww. it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. The leaves are all changing, you know. But for me, I'll have to to have that going on. I have to plan my next event, mm-hmm. and that makes me kind of happy. Got it. You know, whether it's a year away or whatever. If I don't have something to look forward to, and I know it sounds strange, because no. you're going to go through all that training again and suffering or whatever it is. But I need that next event all the time. 